Hello, I'm Zev Neuwirth and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based system of health. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, what an exciting and timely interview we have today. The focus is on social media, in particular Twitter, and how it's an increasingly important part of our formal as well as our informal healthcare system. To assist us in understanding this today is Lisa Bookwalter, who is the Director of Client Health Services at Twitter. It's a lively dialogue. And, you know, I had heard Lisa speak at the health conference, that's the HLTH conference, a few months ago, and I was riveted by how much healthcare was being conducted on Twitter and on social media. It's evolving and it's growing at an accelerated pace. And I suspect that many of us within the formal healthcare system are just not aware of how people, our patients, are increasingly using and leveraging social media in their own healthcare. But before we get to the interview, a quick message and a request. If you, like me, believe that this podcast series and the larger effort of reframing healthcare is important, we need to spread it to many more leaders and influencers. So here's the request. Actually, it's a call to action. Please take a minute today to share this podcast series with at least three colleagues or with members of your organization's senior leadership team. I know that many of you have already been doing this, and I want to say thank you. And to those of you who are going to do it today, well, thank you. So now let's turn to today's episode. I am delighted, delighted to invite Lisa Bookwalter, who is the director of Twitter Health Client Services. Lisa joined Twitter just this past September uh, 2019, and she is responsible for leading the health sector at Twitter. She oversees all health client partnerships as well as Twitter's market positioning in the health space. Prior to joining Twitter, she was a senior director at Healthline Media. She is passionate about connecting health marketers with consumers whose lives they can change. And prior to joining Twitter, she had spent, again, the past nine years at Healthline tirelessly creating innovative ways for advertisers to do just that. Lisa earned her AB from Smith College, and she lives now in Irvington, New York. You can follow her on Twitter, and I have to say this, at BookWalterLisa. So without further ado, let's jump into this interview, which I recently conducted with Lisa Bookwalter of Twitter. Lisa, welcome to Creating New Healthcare. I just want to say I'm so excited to speak with you. I heard you uh, speak as part of a panel. I think this was back at the health conference, HLTH, a few months ago, and you were really phenomenal. I was so impressed with just the way you were responding and your knowledge, and it was really enlightening. So I'm just so, so excited to have you here today. How are you? Oh, I'm good, thanks. Well, thank you so much. That's, you know, you don't hear that every day. So that's really, really nice to hear. And I'm very excited that we were able to finally make this happen. <laughs> I know, I know, me too. You are a busy person. You got a lot going on. Yeah, it's crazy. It sounds good. So let's just start out with a really basic question. I don't know how many people are aware, how many providers or people in healthcare even are aware of the role of social media in healthcare and particularly Twitter. And so why would people even think about Twitter as part of our healthcare system or as part of health? Right, right. That's a great question. So I think um, that's very much evolving. And, you know, when you think about social media, 
what it's designed to do is to connect people. And Twitter specifically is about connecting to what's happening. And so whether it be connecting to massive cultural moments or whether it be connecting to health moments, it's all about connecting through what's happening to them and to the world. So when you think about the health sphere, you know, there's really nothing more powerful, I think, on any social media platform than these health stories that are being told. And Twitter is really where personal stories are driving the public conversation. And that's very much true in the world of health. And so when you think about it, pharma companies over the years have spent all this money on focus groups and trying to understand what people and patients are thinking what HCPs are thinking. And now this is just in front of everybody happening in real time. So it's a really exciting intersection for marketers and to be able to talk directly to their consumers. And that's what I was going to ask you, uh, sort of use cases. So I could see companies that are marketing how they would want to use Twitter. And actually, I'd love to ask you about that is that how would, if I was a, a company, I mean, how are they using it to get information or market their products or? Right, right. You know, they're using it in, in many ways. I mean, first, and at a very basic level, you're seeing more and more companies want to organically engage with their consumers on these platforms. So Twitter is a public platform. People are connecting to what's happening and what they care about. They're not there to connect with their friends or connect with their family. So there's an authenticity and a rawness to what people are putting out there on Twitter. And so you've seen over the years where maybe a year ago, clients were reticent to want to engage there because it is such a public forum. And now they're realizing like, this is where people are putting it out there. This is where people are telling the truth. Um, I got to be there. And so from an organic standpoint, I mean, that's the first thing when we meet with clients, you should be, whether you spend one dime on social media, you should be there and you should be on every single platform because people are engaging on different platforms differently. But if somebody is going to the effort to raise their hand and say, Hey, I have a question for your brand or I want to then for God's sakes, answer them. Right. So I think that's a very basic level where you're seeing, um, people use it. You're seeing marketers use it in really interesting ways. And I can't speak as much to the other platforms, but I can speak to Twitter where you're seeing pharma companies where they're wanting to establish cultural relevance because the data shows how important cultural relevance is to brands. It's 23%, I believe, according to Bain, of purchase decisions are made based on cultural relevance. So you're seeing HIV treatments tap into the Oscars in really cool ways on Twitter. You're seeing some OTC treatments really lean into social listening. And so during the Super Bowl, uh, we had a great activation from Tums where they had done research and seen that antacid sales really spike after the Super Bowl. No surprise. So they did a whole activation around that on Twitter, which was incredible to see. And then you're seeing people use you for things like psoriasis you know, coming to the platform and, and engaging with consumers and asking them what they think and talking back to them. So it's really runs the gamut and it's evolving all the time. And from even when I came to Twitter in September until now, the appetite for how can I be authentic? How can I talk to patients as people? Because at the end of the day, 
Patients are just people who got sick, right? They're not like this separate set of people. But when you're thinking about with Twitter, it's about what's happening. If you have a chronic conditioning, that is what's happening. That is happening all the time. And so people are really wanting to connect on that level. And you're seeing marketers say, how can I engage? Whereas it used to be, there was a, a more of a just dipping my toe, kind of wanting to be there, but not really wanting to engage. And that's really what I see as a big change is brands want to engage with people on these platforms, not just be there. They want to engage. When a brand engages, are they just doing it on a public platform or are they doing it through Twitter? Is there some sort of formal arrangement through Twitter? Well, they're doing it, I think, on all kinds of platforms, but specifically on Twitter, you know, they're, they're doing it through organic and they're also doing it through paid. So they're doing both. Um, and one fuels the other. And so uh, the organic piece is really important. And then the social listening piece is really important because people are going to the different platforms for very different reasons. People are coming to Twitter to talk about what is happening. So they're into culture, maybe it's politics, maybe it's music, maybe it's The Bachelor. It's all different kinds of things. And the conversation around what's happening in the world is electric on Twitter. And so it stands to reason that the health conversation is equally there. So I'll give you an example. This week was World Cancer Day. Monday was World Cancer Day. So I would encourage anybody that's listening to go on Twitter and search hashtag World Cancer Day. And it was, um, Merck did a promoted trend and they had a custom emoji. And so when you, you would go on and share your cancer stories of whether it's you're a survivor, you're a caretaker, and it was unbelievable what people shared and how people encourage each other and how people are really connected together through this health journey. And that really, I think, crystallizes where Twitter plays because it's the humanity and people are coming to Twitter to, you know, they try, they're talking about treatment. They're talking about all kinds of different variations, but it's really the, they're talking to treatments with their doctors, right? What I think they're doing on social media that they're not doing is they're exposing the humanity of their condition and of their journey. And that's really the piece that is, you can't find anywhere else. It's so fascinating when you put it this way. For years, decades, we've tried to put patient groups together, right? And what Twitter you know, allows us as a social media, an open platform, is a much larger group that can get together around a condition or a disease or a medical question or problem. And by using a hashtag, you can actually connect to that, right? You can search it, you can connect to it. And so, like you say, it's sort of removing that sense of isolation, that sense of loneliness, because um, once you put it out there and you're getting, whether it's, you know, 50, 100, hundreds, thousands, 10, you know, you get this group now. And, it, and to your point, it's really a humanizing force. And what's so interesting about this is I've heard so much feedback about the concerns around the dehumanizing aspects of whether it's digital or social media. And every time I look into this and have conversations with experts like yourself, the exact opposite is so apparent. Don't you think? Yeah. What people are putting out there. And then what's also amazing to see, I mean, somebody recently tweeted 
um, they put up a thread, which is just a series of tweets together that they had lost their son 10 years ago. And, and you and I are both parents. So it's like an unimaginable thing. And he said, I never talk about it. You know, I've never been able to talk about my grief and nobody really understands what grief is. And he said, this isn't really what Twitter is for. And the thread goes on and this groundswell of support comes in and somebody says, this is exactly what Twitter is for. You know, it's more heart. It's connecting people together. And, and that is really what it is at its core. And I think what makes Twitter different also is that we are a copy forward platform. So we, even though there's tons of video, tons of gifts, all that, you know, our base thing is the tweet. So 90% of our copy is read and the power of words and the, the powerful way that patients are describing their condition and, and what they're dealing with in that moment. Because I think when you look at a focus group, it's a very staged environment, right? Like you're in a room and you're with other patients that somebody has decided makes sense for you to be there with. You're at the same place in your journey. You're on the same treatment. You're in the same regimen, whatever it may be. When you look at social, people are coming in when they want. They're coming in because they have something to say and they want to connect and they can use their own words and their own expression. And it's very, very powerful because it's truly authentic. To your point, it's global and it's asynchronous. So we don't all have to be at the same place at the same time. And yet we could still communicate very effectively and at a scale that is impossible in any other way. Right. Absolutely. It's very, it's a very powerful medium that I don't think people, I think health originally looked at social media as media. Oh, consumers are there. I should be there. (laughs) But now that's switching. And you're also seeing what we're seeing as pharma companies coming to us and saying, you know what? I don't, I don't want to start from a framework of what I need to consider in terms of my regulations. Let's start with really amazing ways to activate on the platform. And then let's back into how it's possible. And that's another big change I've seen in the market because companies really are recognizing this power of emotional connection. And I think social media is what brought that forward. I don't think people and certainly marketers were thinking of it that way. And, you know, it used to be, you'd want to drive people to site. Well, what are they going to do on brand.com most of the time, right? Most of the time it's, if they go, the research shows it's not that helpful. So now you have this ability to talk to people in real time and connect them with each other. And it's just really transformative in their framework of how they're looking to drive their metrics. You know, how do you know, that the person is responding to you or people responding to you aren't one, you know, let's say there's a physician, I'm a patient here in the United States, there's a physician somewhere in Europe who's, you know, saying, hey, I'm a doctor in this field and here's blah, blah, blah. How do you know, A, that um, that's real? How do you know you could trust them? Uh, how do you know that they're, they're not part of a pharma or device manufacturing company that's trying to market to you? So just how do you sure that there's downsides to it too? And, and what do you think about that? Well, I think that's a great question. And I think all the platforms are, are struggling in this new world of spreading false information. How do, we, how do we approach that? And I think from Twitter, we've spent a lot of our resources. Our health, the health and safety of our platform has been our number one priority. It's actually superseded any new product development. And for this exact reason that you're laying out, 
So the first thing is we have spent a lot of money around machine learning to be able to spot false information. And it used to be on Twitter, it really all was dependent on other people to flag something and have it have it taken down. Now that onus has shifted majorly to the machine learning piece of it. So if something is up on the platform from a doctor and his account is not verified, that's going to be a flag to both the machine learning piece of it, as well as we also have a very robust staff of people monitoring the platform at all times to make sure that false information is not disseminated. And if it is, that it's being taken down and addressed. So that's a very, very big priority because you know, you're right. That is the downside of having kind of open borders. And I think that's something that Twitter over certainly 2000, they started it kind of in 2018, but big time in 2019, they doubled down on tools and machines to stop that. How would I know if I was a consumer, a regular person, a patient, I'm on Twitter, I'm looking at things. How do I know what's being marketed, what's coming to me as a marketing thing versus just someone else? Is it, is it identified? Yeah, it is identified. I mean, they, they are native. So the integration does feel different than if you're on a website. Um, but a couple of things, for the most part on Twitter, the messages you're seeing are surrounding conversations and things that you've either hashtagged or said you wanted to be involved in. So it's a little different in that it's not like out of nowhere, something shows up in your, in your timeline. And we're also not a commerce site. So it's not like you are looking at a pair of shoes and then suddenly the pair of shoes shows up. So it just operates differently based on the way people use the platform. So you're, you know, if you're engaging with, you know, World Cancer Day, you've shared your story, you've hashtagged it, you're really looking to connect with other people that are sharing their stories. You know, similarly, in a totally different vein, there was a huge activation for Disney Plus when Disney Plus was um, launching. They did a whole thread that was really quite brilliant and it had, you know, Lightning McQueen had an announcement and all the different Disney characters from forever ago did an announcement. So if you're being targeted, chances are you've said you wanted to hear from Disney, you've hashtagged, you've engaged with this tweet. So it's a little bit different in that there isn't as much people just putting an ad out there from like a demo type buy. You know, it's more um, engaging with the content that you go to Twitter for. You mentioned Cancer Day. Are there other mm, specific conditions or diseases that you have stories about? Oh, I have so many stories. Um, I mean, there's so many stories and there's great, you know, there's really, I mean, people connect a lot around awareness days, but there's also small cultural moments. So a great example was when Alex Trebek had his final Jeopardy that he hosted. And I don't know if you saw this, but one of the contestants knew he wasn't going to win. And so instead of writing in his final answer, he said, good luck, Alex. And it was this amazing moment. Um, it blew up on Twitter and I'm sure on other social platforms as well. And so we had a pancreatic cancer treatment tie into that moment because to tie into that conversation. So there's micro moments like that that just sort of come up. And then there's things like, you know, World AIDS Day, which is huge on Twitter, or, you know, Migraine Awareness Day is huge on Twitter. So all of those awareness days are big. Mental health is huge on Twitter. 
And you've seen actually in that space, which I think, I think the mental health space, we could do a whole podcast on that. But I think the way that you've seen celebrities come out and share their struggles with mental health, because I think we're at a real tipping point and crisis point with mental health, particularly with teenagers and kids getting older. And it was always this taboo topic. And it was thought of very differently than if you had arthritis or something like that. And that's really, really changing. And so you're having a Bill Hader come out and talk about how he struggles with anxiety. And that's really leading the conversation. And I think that lends itself so well to Twitter because it's this raw authenticity kind of, we say you tell the truth to strangers on Twitter and you lie to your friends on Facebook. So, because you're on Twitter and you're not there to connect with like your friend's daughter or that babysits or whatever, you're there to connect about things that matter to you. And so you've seen the groundswell around things like that, around celebrities coming out around pride and around HIV. So you're seeing people really put themselves out there in very interesting ways surrounding health. How does a social media platform like Twitter, how can it provide people with support? There's a lot of mental health awareness days that I'm blanking on which one it actually was, but it was back in the fall and it was a whole hashtag around ask me twice. And it was this idea of you ask people how they are and they say they're fine and you really don't know if they're fine. So it's like, ask that second question, find out what's really going on. And that took over the platform. But I think just in general, I think there is a lack of rawness and authenticity just in out there in general. And I think there's a lot of, especially when you talk to younger people, these kind of unattainable standards. And I think that social media in some ways has contributed to that. And I think in other ways, a platform like Twitter where people are really much more their, their best selves on Twitter and their truest selves, because again, they're really, they're connecting to things they're passionate about versus trying to have a look at me. It's approach is a much more of a look at this And I think from a mental health perspective, you're seeing those barriers be broken down because you're seeing people that people look up to saying they have struggled with this. They've struggled with depression and they've struggled with anxiety. And I think when that happens, it humanizes a condition and it makes you feel okay with the fact that if they're struggling with it, it's okay that you're struggling with it. And I think that's prompting more conversation. That's prompting people to go, you know, in the case of teenagers, to go to their parents, in the case of adults, to go to their doctors, because it is no different than when you have arthritis and need to take an anti-inflammatory. And I think you're seeing that conversation really be led on social and Twitter specifically, but it's happening everywhere where people are really understanding that this is a crisis and that people need to see that it is something a huge, vast amount of people are suffering with. Is there any evidence that the use of social media will drive people to seek help or just in and of itself, just the sharing, the talking, you know, reduce the burden of depression? Is Yeah, I, you know, that's a great question. I don't have an answer to that, a specific answer to that, other than anecdotally what we see in terms of the conversation. But that's a great question that bears looking into. You know, there's so much data that is present on on a social media platform like Twitter, 
and that could be mined. And I'm, I'm sure I, you obviously are mining data in various ways, but let's say a conversation around depression, a hashtag depression or something like that, or hashtag teenage depression, whatnot. Are universities trying to, uh, medical centers trying to reach out to you to say, hey, can we, can we study this? They wouldn't be reaching out to me. Um, we have a whole different division that handles data and how to leverage data. But I think you are seeing clients um, in the pharma space looking to do interesting type analyses around data. So an example might be at a condition like ankylosing spondylitis, which takes 10 to 12 years to diagnose. So and there, as a result of that, you have a lot of people that have back surgeries they don't need. So is there a way to take that conversation data, understand it, and be able to pick up on those keys where somebody is at a point where they need to figure out, is it a, uh, like a skeletal issue or is it an inflammation issue? And then they can pad people the right way. So we think that's next level of what can be done with this conversation data. Uh, I mean, there's a guy that works at Twitter, spoke at the Khan Health Summit a few years ago about how they could predict uh, where flus, the flu was going to, there were going to be outbreaks of the flu based on this conversation data. So uh, I think absolutely people are using it for those reasons. Uh, that doesn't fall directly under my purview, so I'm not as familiar with it, but you're 100% correct that that use case is out there. That was the other use case I was thinking about, for instance, is infectious diseases and so can you say a little bit about that? For instance, even now with the coronavirus and is Twitter actively engaging with, let's say the CDC or? Yes, that's a great question. So we are. And if you go on Twitter and you type in coronavirus, you will be directed. There's a, a tweet that directs you to the CDC. So absolutely, because that's, that's something that's, you know, from a health perspective, the spreading of false information is really, really important. So anything like that, we, we absolutely partner with the CDC on things like that. But interestingly, with the coronavirus, so there's a lot of, obviously, sharing of news and information and things around the coronavirus. But I think an angle that makes that's very Twitter is that there was a woman from Hong Kong who was tweeting about the coronavirus and she's from that area in China. And she writes this thread, which again is all the tweets put together about it's the impact it's having on her town and the impact it's having on people's perception of their town and the impact it's having on how Chinese people are viewed uh, in other places. So again, it's really all encompassing. I think you're definitely seeing, I mean, and since Twitter is and we're classified as a news platform, we absolutely were on top of talking to the CDC right away to make sure that we were directing people to where they could get the right information. But then there's this human angle, right? And this woman who comes to Twitter to share what her experience is from a completely different lens as it relates to the coronavirus. And that's that's Twitter. It's the conversation, right? So yes, it's at its core, it started with making sure the right information, but then it's all these personal stories that surround it. And that's really, I think, what makes when you're talking about unifying people behind a hashtag, that's really what it is. It's blending the, the newsworthy and the buzzworthy, which is definitely Twitter, right? I mean, people are breaking news on Twitter, but it's also this human angle that's just, it's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. You keep on coming back to this sort of 
this social connectivity part of it and the the humanistic part. And of course, uh, coming from healthcare, my mind is, well, how can we use this as a tool, right? To Im- improve health and health outcomes and all that. And I guess it's it's probably a both and, but but fundamentally what I'm hearing in the conversation is from you is this is fundamentally a, a connecting tool. This is and a- it's connecting also on, you know, Twitter is the number one platform for HCPs. And so when you go to medical conferences, I'm sure, you know, there's always a hashtag and now you're seeing people who can't go to the conference. They just follow the hashtag and that's how they hear what's going on. And that's how they hear what's new. And that's how they hear what's buzzworthy. So you know, we had our, um, we called a one team summit and all 4,500 people who work for Twitter went to Houston for an, a global offsite. And I always say we had one of the days we started with this woman from Nigeria who invented the hashtag bring back our girls. I don't know if you remember that when those girls were kidnapped. So yeah, so she came and she was incredible and just talking about her experience. And then we ended the day with Chrissy Teigen and that's Twitter. It can be very serious and it can be very emotional and it can be very fun and very whimsical and it can be very irreverent. It can be all of those things, but it's all threaded through this piece of connecting people through conversation. And I think that's what's so interesting about it. And that's why when you go on Twitter, like you have no idea what's going to be there. You know, it's a great thing. And then it's also when you're in meetings, like you can never go live on Twitter because who knows, (laughs) who knows what's going to be on Right. Someone, right. Someone, someone in the room could be, could be following that. Yeah. You just don't know. That thread um, as well. And so it's very unexpected. And I think that's what makes it so different from the other platforms is that you go on and you, you don't know because it's not people just posting vacation photos or whatever. It's people talking about things they really care about. And like people will really care about the bachelor in this crazy, funny way, but then people really care about world cancer day at the same time. So it's this very, um, sort of eclectic mix because you're connecting people through their passion point. So it's, it's very electric. I experienced that as well. And, and so, you know, as I hear you describe it, the word that comes to mind is a social movement, that it allows for these rapid uh, global uh, social movements that could not happen in any other way. And, and when they become about health and healthcare in all its facets, uh, including the social determinants of health, which, as you just mentioned, includes violence and war and and the environment and weather and global spread of infections and as well as chronic diseases. And, and so it's almost like this mega ability for an individual and a small group to then really create this large scale social movement that is now focused on health. Is yeah. That- yeah, I think, I mean... You know, the single most empowering thing anybody can do is take control of their health, right? I mean, for sure. And so I think the health stories, I mean, when people think of Twitter, when I came to Twitter, I'd been in pharma a long time, people were like, Twitter, like for health, like what do you, you know, I, I think like, and everybody has a different answer. I think of Twitter for entertainment and I think of Twitter for sports and I think of Twitter. But when you think about it, there's the health narrative and people's health stories there's very little that's more powerful than that because we all are health consumers, right? It's something that, that impacts everyone. And there is not a single person that saw the thread about the guy struggling with his grief for the loss of his child that didn't empathize and that didn't connect with that. And when you look at the response around World Cancer Day, cancer unfortunately has touched most people in one way or another. 
And that really is something that connects, you know, when people connect with that, you know, they realize how connected they are to, to so many people. And so we're seeing that we're seeing, um, you know, migraine patients, like really graphically describing what they're feeling. And that's, that's a condition where people don't even think they have a condition, right? People are like, take an aspirin, like whatever, you have a headache. No, like it's the single, I think it's number two in terms of loss of productivity. So people are able to go on and in words, talk about this mind numbing pain that they're in that other people then can connect to and see. And that's you know, getting that message out to people about what that experience is really like. So, and also I think with Twitter being more of a public platform, you are seeing celebrities coming out and talking about things that they struggle with too. And, you know, you had Serena Williams coming on talking about missing her daughter's first steps. And like, she came to Twitter. She didn't go to a friend. She came to Twitter and this groundswell came behind her. So I think that's the piece that because Twitter's in the news all the time, you don't hear about. And you don't hear about how it is connecting people through humanity and how it is connecting people through these experiences that they're having. And you have, you have people on Twitter going through chemo together. You had a journalist, a New York Times journalist, find a kidney for his daughter on Twitter. So, you know, it's really the, the health angle of it is truly incredible. And it, it makes sense, right? Because it's connecting people, it's making people feel comfortable, it's, you know, the ability to take information around quickly. And so it, it all kind of lines up, but it's not necessarily something you think of right away. I participate in some tweet chats. And so this is when you, you get together as a group, you say there's going to be a defined time. We're going to get together. You do the hashtag and you're in a conversation uh, and there's usually a facilitator and sometimes they will have questions or topics and then you, you go from one topic to the next topic. It's actually an organized. Like a group chat. Like a group chat, yeah. And so I not really thought of this before, but are there medical or clinical or condition-specific group chats on Twitter? Are you aware of those? I'm sure there are. I mean, we that's not something that we... I mean, there's the medical community in general is very active on Twitter. And there's a lot of hashtags around that that connect people. But having group chats is not necessarily something that we would allow somebody to monetize. So I can't speak to the specifics of what they are, but there is tremendous conversation happening among HCPs on the platform. I'm sorry, an HCP stands for? Just a healthcare provider. So doctors, nurses, but we see a ton of activity around the big conferences and we're seeing a lot of pharma marketers want to engage in that way. That's really interesting. And so that's the other side of it too is that uh, providers could get together and have Twitter chats and threads as well. Yeah, I think it was ASCO. It's one of the big conferences and they were taught, it was in the Click Newswire and they were talking about how attendance was down, but that the hashtag activity was through the roof. And so people that weren't attending the conference, that's how they're attending it. They're following the hashtag. So they're hearing what the speakers are talking about. They're hearing what the news is and they're, they're, staying abreast of the content of the conference by way of Twitter, which is very interesting. It is so interesting because... I know. Not so much for people putting on the conference. Not such good news for them. No. But 
for everyone else. It's, I mean, it's amazing. And it's, again, it's, it's that connectivity, right? And it's them sharing their experiences and what's important to them. Well, that's the point, right? If something important is going to be said, someone's going to post it on Twitter, right? 100%. And it's fast. I mean, that's the other thing with, with the platform is that, the, I mean, it's just, it's very fast. And so people are like very leaned in when they're on the platform because information is coming so quickly. That's fascinating. And, you know, what would you say about some of the concerns about you raised one around, you know, how do you know the information is valid or not? How about uh, privacy? Uh, so if I put something out, let's say I have depression or anxiety or, or anything else for that matter, I put it out. Well, now will my insurance company be able to see that or my employer be able to see that, you know, that sort of thing? Are people profiling me through the words, you know, so for instance, using NLP, you could detect depression or something. So how do you think about that? How does Twitter think about that? And what what would you say to that sort of question? Twitter thinks about that, those kinds of questions a lot. That's a huge initiative of ours. Um, In terms of health, we have very specific rules around data and privacy. So you would not be able to profile somebody based on their condition. So health is a little different in that way. Um, So I can't really speak to overall how Twitter is handling in other areas, but we have very specific guidelines around how you can target people and who would have access to any of that information. But NAI, the National Association of Advertising, mandates really how that is handled. I think in terms of spreading false information, you know, it comes back to the machine learning we're investing. It comes into being verified. You know, the people that are on Twitter, healthcare providers, you know, pharma companies, hospitals, celebrities, they have what's called their verified. So you can see on the platform that that is the person they're saying they are. But you also remember on Twitter, it's not necessarily like it's your handle. So your handle isn't necessarily your name and it doesn't have to be your name. So you don't have that same issue and you're not connected necessarily to people you know. So it's a little bit different in terms of the data and privacy, people being able to target you, you know, because you're not putting a lot of your personal information on there to begin with. How do you see Twitter changing healthcare, transforming healthcare? What do you see as Twitter evolves, as, as people get used to using it more, more people are on it, uh, using it in new and different ways? How is it going to impact health and healthcare in our country? I mean, I think it already is, and I think it it is going to be dramatic because I think what it's what you're seeing is people putting it out there and they expect to be heard, right? And so you're seeing consumers, and this isn't just Twitter. I mean, this is I think being led by social in general and just the way things have evolved. But it used to be you would go into your doctor and your doctor would tell you what you're supposed to do. And you did it. My parents never questioned their doctors. Uh, Now you are able to connect to, because you couldn't really connect to patients. If you knew somebody that had your same condition, that was great. If you did it, you didn't. And that was the end of that. Now people are able to connect to each other. People are able to share information with people they don't know using a hashtag. So the access to information is happening so quickly and with such facility that that relationship is no longer, I go to my doctor and my doctor tells me what I'm supposed to do and I'm going to do it. 
I think you're seeing a huge push around with the technology that's evolving, particularly with wearables, that you're seeing uh, going to be more of a demand for a personalized care, right? Because you have access to so much data from people and what, what you're doing. And you're, you know, I have my like Apple watch on. It's like, I'm supposed to stand every this amount. I'm supposed to walk every this amount, you know? And so my treatment regimen might be different. So I think you're going to see this place where you're going to have that much more of an activated consumer and that consumer is going to demand a lot of different things. Now, Will that move the needle on adherence and compliance? That's the million dollar question. Me connecting, is it a more powerful story for me to talk to somebody where a treatment actually did what it was supposed to do and changed their life in a meaningful way? If I hear that from another person, am I more likely to adhere? I would hope so. I don't think we have that data yet. So I think that is really going to be what we're going to watch you know, you're seeing some social platforms like Facebook partner with, I think it was the CDC where they're trying to have people sign up to get reminders like, oh, you need to get your, these tests and these screenings. You know, they haven't been successful getting people to do those things on wide scale. So they're trying, okay, we know consumers are in social, let's try it there. So I think that's really going to be what everybody's eyes are on is how does it drive ultimately those kinds of metrics, the social determinants of health. But I think you are going to see people, the shame is definitely of conditions and the embarrassment. I think you're seeing uh, really diminish because people are so much more out there. And so they're, they're asking different questions. And so I think it is going to change it. And I think, I think it already has. And hopefully we can see some of those changes and use these platforms to get people to make better health decisions and as a country and as a world have better health outcomes. At this point in time, I don't understand how we cannot be doing research on this. You know, it just seems like this is the new fertile field of your behavior and behavior is as chronic disease is 80 or more percent of what's going on around the country and around the world. And behavior is the key to managing chronic disease. It just seems like utilizing social media, understanding it, studying it is just such an important area of research that uh, I don't know if it's being done or not. I haven't really seen any studies. So I mean, I would think that somebody would be, but I also think social is evolving so quickly that there's so much change and so much happening in such a dynamic fashion that I think it's sort of sped ahead of the people that would do that. Um, I know we are very much looking at data as what can people do with it. I think the challenge has been so far that the Twitter data is like a fire hose. And so it's, you turn it on and you turn it off. And so trying to figure out how to cut that data and, and, mold that data into meaningful insights, I think is very much a work in progress. I do know we have a very large team of people that are working on doing that because there's no question that we're sitting on a trove of data that can better inform those types of things. And they're so important. So I think that is absolutely the next frontier. Um, I completely agree. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you nailed it. I think it's, it is the next frontier. I guess as you're talking, I'm thinking, well, shouldn't anyone who has any sort of condition or anything new, I mean, why wouldn't you go on Twitter? 
I mean, right? Well, I think, you know, obviously I work for Twitter, so I think everybody should go on Twitter, but I think, you know, obviously. Uh, <laughs> Thank you for yeah, that honesty. Exactly. I think everybody should go on Twitter <laughs> for any number of reasons. Um, you know, I think it's interesting because you see a lot of different kind of behavior in social. You see people who go on and just kind of are voyeurs and read the information. And then there are people who really lead the conversation and everybody in between. And I think as people go through their own condition journeys, they kind of make the decision that's right for them. But I think there's not any condition areas that aren't being discussed on Twitter. So I think people probably are going on there, but I think there's other things, you know, Twitter, I think as a platform, has really, I mean, we're, we're seeing a lot of growth and we're outpacing a lot of our competitors from a growth standpoint because we're really investing in a lot of tools that make it easier to find information on Twitter. You know, for all the reasons I said, with all the different things and passion points why people connect, it can be very daunting to go on Twitter and find what you want. And now we have things like topics where you can follow a topic as opposed to having to follow people, which is making a difference. So I think there's some some of those issues driving why somebody might not engage with it. Um, but I think you're seeing more and more people are, and you're seeing just in general, people just being more willing to talk about things that people weren't talking about before. And I think a lot of that happened before social, you know, people, you know, a condition like menopause where people just went through it and nobody said anything, which is so weird because every woman does it. And then you had people talking about things more and more. And now they're talking about them in a huge way because they have the platform to do it. But I think there's also been some societal changes there too that have enabled people to say, you know, I don't know why I'm like not talking to people about this. <laughs> like this is not anything I need to be ashamed of. And so I think the culmination of that is coming forward on platforms like Twitter. Do you, five years from now, your comment about the the platform, it's not going to be static. Obviously, it's advancing. You just gave an example of that where you won't just have to follow a person. You could follow topics and things like that. So it's becoming, I think, the it sounds like the user experience is going to become easier and, and more engaging. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that came out of our, we had our global offsite. And when we talked about what our overarching goals are, and I think that whole global conversation is so important. And I think we're looking at topics that everybody in the world might be talking about. And how do we make it easier for different languages and different people to talk to one another? So I think in five years, you're going to see people be able to talk to each other even though you speak different languages using the technology and the platform, which I think is gonna change the world in a lot of ways. So I think the idea of, the, of safe and healthy conversation at scale is gonna to continue to refine. And I think you're gonna see more and more people engaging for more and more reasons. And I think you're going to see it continue to really break down barriers and unite people in a new way because of all the work we're doing to the platform on, from a technology standpoint to make it safe, to make conversations productive. Um, we're looking into something called Author Moderated Replies, which just launched on the platform where it enables an author to hide replies, where it's taking the conversation off of where it was. So making sure the conversation stays robust and healthy and also making sure that the person that started the conversation is able to keep it where that person wants to keep it and not having it derail into like strange places. So I think 
those controls and that marriage of the vibrant conversation on a host of topics that's also safe and healthy and on point, the combination of those two, I think you're going to see so many stories like, you know, recently the one they told us when we were on Houston was during Hurricane Harvey, which was a hurricane that came through Houston, but then it came back. So people were not prepared and people were in homes and water was coming in and 911 shut down because they weren't prepared. They thought they had passed through the hurricane and people used Twitter to contact uh, first responders. So you're going to hear more and more of those stories over time because it's that marriage of the conversation and the vibrancy and the electricity with the technology enabling it to be safe and productive and meaningful. And I think that together, they're so, it's unimaginable what kinds of problems that could solve. Uh, just this week in uh, JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, and I, it was an article about social media and health, a commentary article, and they referred to Facebook and Facebook has a preventive health tool that they've put out. And they talked about the pros and cons of it. Now, Facebook is different than Twitter, uh, as you alluded to, but the point that Facebook was doing is that they're putting out guidelines that are customized. So uh, as a male, they would give me you know, U.S. preventive guidelines or, or society guidelines, whether it be cancer or vaccinations or whatnot. And so you know, the idea is that through the mass reach, you know, maybe more people would do these preventive things. And again, we know that less than 10% of people in the country actually do all the things they're supposed to do in terms of uh, prevention. And you know, hundreds of thousands of lives could be literally saved a year if people did. That's a bit of a more organized way of doing it. And so I'm just wondering, is you know, you just talked about kind of a strategy retreat and getting together with your colleagues at Twitter around the domain of healthcare. Would Twitter go into that sort of organized approach, or is it really more of a public platform that allows people to self-organize and do things through that mode? You know, that's a great question. I am not sure I really can answer that. I saw actually the, um, that the Facebook tools came out when we were at Health. And, you know, I think it's awesome. I think all boats rise there. If they can move the needle from even 10 to 20% of people doing what they're supposed to be doing, that, that's a massive, massive win for the world. I don't know that, that Twitter would do something like that necessarily. You know, obviously Facebook has a lot more scale than we do to be able to uh, activate. So I don't know. I actually, I don't know that I can, I'm in enough meetings to really answer that because that's not, that's a very big undertaking. But I think it's amazing that, that social as a platform is addressing these issues and addressing these problems. I think it's, you know, and I'm, I can't wait to see if it works, right? I mean, if that's where people are spending their time and that's where they're engaging and that's where they're sharing and then is that going to be able to transfer to offline results? And I, I think if it does, I think all broats rise, not just in social, but for everybody. If you were speaking to hospital systems or large provider groups across the country or even health plans, what should we be doing to really utilize this for our patient populations? Well, it's interesting because I think the hospital business is has changed so much in that, you know, it used to be people didn't, not that many people would have traveled for care. And now you're seeing the Cleveland clinics of the world and, and 
you know, obviously Mayo and some of these others where they have these key specialty areas that people are traveling from all over in order to engage with. But not a lot of people know that. And I think there's still an awareness gap there. I think from an insurance standpoint, that whole world is like a whole other, again, that's a whole other hour podcast there. So many challenges and changes there. And again, I think consumers are so confused in that world. I mean, they really don't even know where to start. And I think, you know, from a logistics standpoint, when you are diagnosed with something, you hear that over and over again. People are like, I don't even know where to go. And then there's the the insurance piece is like a whole other piece. So I think there's a huge opportunity there to really educate people around what those different offerings are because nobody nobody knows. And by the time you find out, you're already in a very stressful situation and you're not seeing them doing as much. I mean, you're seeing, it was interesting. My son had occupational therapy and his, the OT department at this hospital we went to, they did a ton of, of outreach on Twitter, but that's unusual. You're not seeing um, that as much. And I think that's a missed opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I I would think that we would want to both listen through Twitter and communicate through Twitter to... Yeah, absolutely. And especially, you know, insurance. I mean, I think one of the sectors that's really leaned in on Twitter is the airlines, right? And nobody hates anybody. Like people hate the airlines. And people were going on Twitter to complain all the time and they leaned in. And now, I mean, you can change your flight on Twitter on Delta Airlines. You can do all these things. And so I think what the learnings would be there for insurance is people have so many questions and they're so confused and they don't know what to do. And you know what? Sometimes people are not confused between the hours of nine and five and then they, you know, so to have a platform that they can go to and get answers and engage and feel heard, I think would be transformative. Wait, so, so wait, wait, I just want to ask you that I can go change my airline tickets on Twitter. You can go, you can DM Delta on Twitter Mm -hmm. And, and you can pretty much do anything. A, a woman that works on my team literally changed her airline ticket on Twitter. Wow. And they did a lot of research around the fact that they really struggled with customer service and people had a negative feeling about their brands. And I mean, they were ripping them apart on Twitter. And Delta decided, you know what? We're going to lean into this. This is where people are. And we can either let this conversation fester or we can go in and try and shape it. And that's what they did. And now they do on Twitter, we'll send out a quit, you know, a, a survey. What films do you want to see on transcontinental flight? So, I mean, a totally different sector, but I think insurance faces that same challenge where people are, they're, they're really taxed and they're overwhelmed and they're, and they, they can feel very like, I don't even know what to do. That's a missed opportunity. I yeah, completely agree with you in healthcare in general, this, this issue of navigation, knowing how to navigate the system is, is one of the biggest complaints people have, uh, whether it's insurance companies or hospital systems or, or large provider groups. And so if I were in a hospital system like I am, could we literally engage with Twitter to help our patients, our consumers navigate? I mean, could- yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think it wouldn't be just with Twitter. You would also want to, um, you know, you would have to staff that on your side. So you'd have to have community management. You'd have to have people that respond. So it's, I mean, there's, there's the marketing on Twitter, right? 
But then like, if you want to use it in an interface, then that's something you would work with your own intern. So there's a lot internally you'd have to do and you, you know, work with somebody that would help you do that and like implement that. But definitely, I mean, you're seeing people do that where, I mean, now when I have a complaint with anybody, I just go to Twitter. I'm not going to like go on their site. I'm never going to call. Right. So you, you DM on Twitter and, and that's generally people have, have really leaned into that. And then you have people like, like Delta who have leaned in on a whole other level. We actually do a lot of work with Cigna and they do really cool things where they tie in with big cultural moments, which is very interesting. They tied in with a puppy bowl, which is super fun. Um, it was last year. So, so you're seeing people engage depending on what segment of the population they're trying to move. But I think hospital systems, you know, that's, that's an evolving marketplace as well. And it's no longer a local business, right? I mean, people are traveling far and wide to get the best care. Lisa, I, I can't tell you how exciting this conversation is. And oh my oh, God, the possibilities are really just tremendous. Yeah. It is super exciting. And what an exciting time as well to be, you know, at Twitter and social media yeah, in the health so. domain. Is there any, anything we didn't cover? Is there any sort of final message you want to share with our listeners? You know, I mean, I think it's just the only thing I would share is that it's such an exciting time, like you said, to be a part of it. So I would just encourage people to go on and listen to some of the health conversation. And I would encourage, you know, any of anybody that's listening, that's a healthcare provider to listen to what, you know, the, the personal stories are and, and what people are really dealing with. And, you know, I think it's just, it's such an exciting time for the platform. And there's so many really amazing health stories happening. And I just encourage you, you know, people to really listen and be a part of it. Lisa, again, thank you. I know how busy you are. <laughs> and I just want to thank you for taking the time and your, your enthusiasm, your excitement. And I think you're emphasis about the um, the humanism in social media and what Twitter is doing. I think for me, that is so, so important. And so thank you for, for emphasizing that. And thank you for infusing social media with that. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I love to talk about this stuff. So I'm always willing. <laughs> well, I might take you out. In fact, I will take you up on that. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Folks, that was the interview with Lisa Bookwalter from Twitter, and I just want to thank Lisa for being a part of creating new healthcare and bringing us her fresh perspectives and her new ideas in our quest to advance a sustainable value-based consumer-oriented healthcare system. There were so many things I gleaned from speaking with Lisa. One of the most surprising was how patients are connecting with one another all over the world through the use of hashtags on Twitter. And it's not only the content, you know, things like diagnostics and testing and treatments and locating the best places to receive care, but it's also the human connection that Lisa kept on emphasizing. You know, for example, in the past, if you thought about a support group, it was generally limited to your own doctor's practice or to the hospital system you used. Now with Twitter and hashtags, your support group is literally the entire globe. And as researchers and physicians and pharmaceutical and device manufacturers are increasingly using and leveraging Twitter and other social media, you're able to connect to the most cutting edge and up-to-date information and services. And it is far superior, as we discussed, 
far superior to the formal web pages because this is actual information coming from individuals. Now, I realize that there are downsides to all of this, but the connectivity is just mind-blowing to me. And I think the opportunity and the possibility for good here is tremendous. Now, the takeaway for us in hospital systems and provider groups is probably we could be doing a lot more on Twitter and other social media channels. And if your organization isn't, well, I would say check it out. So as I do every episode, I'd like to thank all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients or supporting those who are taking care of patients. I and we truly appreciate you for what you do and recognize how critically important your work is to individuals, families, communities, and our society. And as always, I hope you've benefited from this podcast episode as much as I have. My goal here is to provide you with useful information as well as encouragement and inspiration and to serve as a catalyst for reframing and transforming our healthcare system. This is Zev Neuwirth on Creating a New Healthcare. Until next time, be well.